0: Welcome to North Point. I'm so happy that you're here this morning. God is good. Right now at my house the birds are chirping and it's sunny out. I'm not sure what it's like at your house right now as you're watching this but hopefully it's nice. The weather is changing a lot but God is still good. So I wanted to also let you know that today during our service we will be doing communion. So grab um, some items that you can use. uh, Maybe some bread or some grape juice and that way you can take part as a family together in communion. And I also wanted to let you guys know, um, just to think about how God has been uh, working in your life. I've been really encouraged by some stories that I've been hearing. And I just want you to take a moment to think about how God has been working and caring for you and just reflect on how good he is. And I wanted to share a verse with you. It's from second Corinthians and Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, um, 8 through 10 says, We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. I really hope that that brings you encouragement like it does to me, what Paul went through for uh, the sake of Christ. And we are still able to share that love of Christ with those around us. And this is just encouragement that God goes around us, before us, is all around us, and that he is faithful. And he will continue to deliver us. And this season... Is a time to rely on God. So I hope that you're able to do that this week. And now let's jump into some worship.
1: Six, tres, for me.
0: a Second and then give it a second and then let's give me a quick count,
1: Okay? Alright. Whenever you're ready. Did you restart the video? Show? No. What
2: Hi there, North Point. How are you? Man, do I really miss seeing you. I I can't wait until the time that we can all be together, but until then, we're gonna be grateful for the online services and the the work of Tim Rust and his tech team. They are an awesome group of people and I just can't thank them enough for all the work that they do. I'm gonna ask you now to grab your phone, click on the North Point app, and uh, scroll down to the Let's Connect. If you don't have the app already, go ahead and download that. But fill out that information for us. And if you are maybe for the first time choosing to follow Christ or if you're recommitting uh, to that uh, decision to follow Christ, please be sure to indicate that as well. We we want to know uh, and celebrate that decision for you. Um, Again, I just can't tell you how much I personally miss seeing you all. I miss seeing my friends at the kids' check-in who are running in with their big smiles and so eager to go to their classes. I miss seeing seeing my adult friends and having a cup of coffee with them while we're waiting for service. I, I look forward so much to that day. But until then, take care, stay well, and we'll see you soon. God love you.
1: I'm not this,
3: today. So if you can go ahead and get some crackers and juice and uh, hit pause, we'll be here and we'll pray and take communion together when you get back. Jesus talked about communion with his disciples. He said that when you take this bread, remember me, it's my body. When you drink this wine, remember me, it's the blood shed for you. So I wanted to talk about the body we don't talk about his body that much, but his body is important to remember why we're taking that communion and why we're remembering his body in isaiah fifty three the word says he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquity, the chastisement of the world was placed on him, and by his stripes we are healed. And what does that mean that's that's talking about that's talking about Jesus before the crucifixion and during the crucifixion, how he was beaten. He was, had the crown of thorns on his head. Um, He had been whipped. He had stripes on his back from the whipping. He had been put on the cross and he was nailed to the cross. He had uh, died on the cross and had the spear thrust into his side. So that's what it's talking about when it says he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and that by his stripes we are healed. Um, That last part's important to catch on to because healing, we pray for healing all the time, but healing comes to us through Jesus because of that beating, because of those stripes he took for us. We have uh, been praying a lot about healing lately and about health because of this virus that's going on. I've been praying with the prayer team. I've been praying with our life group. I've been praying with um, everybody that I pray with. I pray with them about healing and health and how we need Jesus and his divine health, his perfect health, to come on us. And that's that's the transfer that took place at the cross. In addition to the sin, our sins being forgiven, we took his health. We took his... Uh, His healing because of the stripes that He took, because of the beating He took, because of the piercing of His body with the nails, with the spear, with the thorns. So, as you take communion, we always want to remember what that's about, what His broken body was about, and always think about the blood and the remission of our sins. I think we just don't talk about the body as much um so as you take the cracker and the juice i'm going to pray for us all right now father i pray right now as we take this cracker and drink this juice that that we will remember and maybe remember anew what that means that your body was broken for our healing father and that your Jesus, your blood was shed for us so that we could have eternity in heaven with you. Help us to remember these things, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
4: Hey guys, we want to take uh, and do a couple of things together right now. First of all, we just want to say thank you for your continued love and support of everything that we're trying to do together as a family. We know that times can be difficult, and you guys have continued to be a blessing in your giving. And we recognize that it's really not giving for us. but I mean, you are giving out of an act of worship to God, and that's an incredible thing. And so we want to take a second and encourage you guys to continue to do that right now. You can do that through the website. You can do that on the North Point app or you can text Give to 77977. That's gonna be the easiest way to give. Uh, you can set up a one-time gift or recurring payment with your bank information, whichever way you prefer to go. The other thing we want to do is we want to take a second and just kind of pray together. Uh, we recognize that right now a lot of people uh, are hurting because of this virus, whether it's uh, a medically or a loved one that's going through something or financially, uh, or maybe it's discouragement because we've, we've kind of been at the stay at home for so long. So we're just going to take a second and we're just going to pray together right now. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who is in control. You are in control of everything, Lord, whether it would be uh, health, whether it would be finances, uh, family issues, whatever it may be, God. And so, God, we pray uh, specifically now, Father, that you would just kill this virus, that you would get rid of this, uh, this plague that seems to be going around, God, and that you would uh, eradicate it, that you would get it away from us, God, and that you would just protect, Lord. And you would also bring healing, Father, for those that need healing, whether it would be a physical healing, whether it be an emotional healing or a financial healing, God. Uh, we just trust in you in this time, knowing that you're in control of all things, God. So we pray, Father, that your spirit would descend upon us, that he would be with us uh, to uplift, to heal, uh, to encourage as we put our faith and our trust in you because of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.
5: been at this for a long time. This is starting to feel like home, isn't it? But the governor has said that we need to wear masks all the time. So I brought my mask with me just for your benefit. Maybe not. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, two very specific toys that I had. They were, they were great, great toys. One was a 1969 Buick Wildcat model car. I remember getting it for Christmas, and I re- I can remember sitting at the dining room table and working on this model, taking those little plastic pieces and put them together, putting them together. Uh, the, the smell of the of the glue, of the model glue that that put all that together. I think I learned more about how a car works and the parts of a car, working on that '69 uh, Buick Wildcat than any of the rest of my life combined. The second toy that I remember so clearly was uh, it was a monster magnet. It was this red thing from Whammo. It was great. I, what made it such a great toy was that in our basement, our basement was only partially finished, and we had these metal poles that went from the floor up to the to the joists that were above the, the uh, basement that, that were the floor joists for the first, first floor and with that monster magnet, I could put it on those poles that really strong magnet against that metal, and it was really hard to pull off. I could do all kinds of stuff. I could hang all kinds of things there with that monster magnet. Two great toys, and neither one of them had any electronics. It was the best thing in the world. A model and a magnet are the metaphors for today's message about the power of your marriage. Now, if you're single, if you're a teen, before you turn this off, before you want, walk out of the room, I want you to stick with me for this message, because I think that you'll find some things in here that will be really, really helpful for, for you. If you're married, if you're a newly married, if you've been married a long time, you're going to find some great stuff in this message. If you're single, I want you to stick with this, because you may get married in the future, and I want you to digest what's being taught today for what you want your marriage to look like eventually. It may be that you're divorced um, and and you're still trying to process through. Maybe you're thinking, wow, what could marriage look like if I were to have that in my life again? Where did I go wrong? Maybe that's some of what we'll talk about today. If your marriage is in crisis, and there are a lot of marriages in crisis during the COVID crisis, there'll be some tools that will help you today, some, some clear teaching from God's word. Um, and if you're a teen... I want you to listen really closely because what we talk about today can help shape your view of the kind of marriage that you want eventually in your life. How do a model and a magnet apply to marriage and scripture? It's this. There is power in your marriage. Your marriage has incredible power. I don't think I know of anybody that wants to have a weak marriage, Every, anybody that wants to have a marriage that's just okay, it's just so-so. You want your marriage to be powerful. And, and here's the metaphor for you. We'll find today in Scripture a model for how to have a powerful marriage. That model is Christ's relationship with the church. And when we do that, when we adopt that model, when we put our marriage together in God's way, it becomes a magnet to the world to be drawn to Jesus, to be drawn to his church. So your marriage can be both, uh, it, can, it can take the model of Jesus in the church and become a magnet to the world to draw them to Jesus. Chris's message last week finished with uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 which was so appropriate for for verse 21, for a message with an emphasis on law enforcement appreciation and making the most of every opportunity. Philippians 5.21 says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one, one another out of reverence for Christ. It serves as a bridge from last week's message into this week's message. We've talked about power on so many different levels for the last eight or nine weeks. Um, Last week, the power of making the most of every opportunity that God brings into our lives. This week's message is on the power of a living example, the power of a marriage that the world can see God working in and transforming the lives of that husband and wife. It's the power of a partnership. Let's let's dive into Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 22, wives, submit, to your, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. A few years ago, we did a, a sermon series called The S Word that was all about submission, uh, a dirty word in our vocali- vocabulary, the S word, submission. Um, one of the things that I remember about that particular series of messages, because we talked about submission to government, submission in marriage, submission, uh, submission in the workplace, submission on so many different levels, submission ultimately to Jesus and to his lordship. The thing that I remember about that message is um, out of our sermon-based questions and the conversations that happened in life groups, so many people communicated, yeah, I know what that, I know that that's what scripture says, but I can't submit. I, I can't submit to that government, that, that, that particular person. I don't like them. I don't like what they stand for. I'm not going to do it. I can't submit to my boss. He's incompetent. He doesn't know what he's doing. I don't think I can submit to my husband in marriage. Uh, because he, he just doesn't have a clue. That that grieves me as your pastor because submission is key to our relationship with Jesus. In order for Jesus to be Lord of our lives, we have to be willing to submit to him. And when he challenges us to submit in other kinds of relationships, we have to obey. We have to submit to his leadership in that and to trust him that he'll prove himself in that process. Um, let me let me just say some things as we dive into this, um, particularly in the context of of marriage and this passage that says, "Wives submit to your to your own husbands." Um, if you haven't yet turned off the message, hear this, okay? Uh, hear these words: submission is not in this passage. It's not about the workplace. It's not about dating relationships. It's not about intelligence um, it 's this is not saying that that uh, that the man is more intelligent than the wife that would be stupid um, it 's not about emotional balance um, most wives are probably more emotionally stable than men are. men just take their emotions and stuff them um, it 's not about competence it 's not about roles and functions in the church um, who it 's not about who is more or less gifted um, submission is not about permission to degrade someone or to b- allow yourself to be demeaned. Um, submission doesn't mean a loss of identity. It doesn't mean a loss of influence. It's not about better or worse. It's not about more or less uh, important in a relationship. Submission does not mean in the marriage context that the wife is not equal to the husband, that God sees them differently differently. Submission does not mean that the wife must always agree with her husband. Your first priority as a follower of Jesus, wives, is to follow Jesus. Submission does not mean that the wife doesn't have influence over her husband. First Peter 3 actually teaches the exact opposite, that the wife can win her husband through her influence as she submits to him. Submission does not mean that a wife should ever live in fear of her husband. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. In this passage, it is about the roles that God has assigned in marriage. Submission at its most basic fact is all about trust. It's about trust in the person that you submit to, and it really is about your trust in God who gives the, that authority in the context, in the relationship of marriage. Jake did a great job uh, with this topic back last fall when, when we did the Holy, Holy, and Holy series. And, and he preached from 1 Peter 3, uh, t- talking about these exact same concepts. Go back and, and watch that message again if you want to. Submission what, what does submission look like? It really, uh, the Greek word, it's a military term. And it means that you place yourself under the authority of another person. In the, in the military context, submission is probably best demonstrated by a master sergeant in a platoon. Uh, a lieutenant comes in, maybe from, from West Point, from the, from the academy, and they have all these ideas. They have all the schooling and they have the rank. But in reality, the sergeant knows a lot more about about the battlefield. He knows more about the, the members of their company, their platoon. He knows more about uh, what's strategic and what's not. And yet the sergeant doesn't look at the second lieutenant and say, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm not listening to him. Everybody follow me. Not at, at all. The sergeant recognizes that in the order of authority, he must submit to that lieutenant, to his leadership, that that lieutenant is going to be responsible for what happens to the company. Now, a good lieutenant is going to depend completely on the sergeant. That sergeant's going to give lots of information to the lieutenant so the lieutenant can make the best choices he can. But the sergeant is going to submit to the leadership of the lieutenant because that's the order that's been um, put in place there. A good lieutenant is going to listen to a sergeant if he wants to stay alive. Submission in marriage is about recognizing that God has established an order of authority so that when a decision has to be made, someone is able to make that decision and is held accountable and responsible for that decision as well. Understand that the opposite of submission is selfishness. When we say, I don't want to submit, what we're really saying is, I trust me, it's all about me. I want it my way. And that's the opposite of submission. That's, that's really what's at stake in our relationship with Jesus. Whether we decide he will be Lord and have complete control of our lives. Or whether we think, "Ah, I know better and I'm going to do what I want. If you're asking the question about your marriage, how can I be gratified in my marriage? How can I get all I want out of my marriage? You're asking the wrong question. We enter into marriage to serve, not to be served. Jesus came to the world to serve and not be served. Uh, We had a friend uh, uh, many, many years ago that uh, went into relationships. Uh, she actually had a, a friendship with four different guys, and uh, she would go see those guys. and And we still talk about this comment that she made in that context. She said, "Okay, who's going to entertain me today?" Um, for her, her relationship, her friendship with those four guys was all about what she got out of it, not what she brought into that relationship and into that friendship. You know. Deb and I have been married almost 39 years and I don't think in our marriage there's ever been a time that I've asked or demanded Deb to submit to me. Why not? Because that's not love. That's tyranny. That's not what love looks like. That's selfishness. But there are probably way more times than I'm aware of that she chose to submit to my leadership because of her relationship with Jesus. Times that she thought, I don't think he knows what he's doing. I don't think he's hearing me. I don't even think he's close to right. But I trust Jesus. I'm not even sure that I trust that Rick knows that he doesn't know what he's talking about. But I trust Jesus. That's what submission looks like. Why does she submit because the model, the church, has shown her what it looks like in her relationship with Jesus. The church submits to Jesus, and she, in turn, submits to her husband. All of those pieces that came in the box for that 1969 Buick Wildcat, I had all of them, but I didn't know how they fit together. I needed the instructions. I needed the model. I needed to see what it looked like to help me put the model together properly. This message is not just for women. Let's let's dive into what it says to the men because it's actually, I think, more difficult teaching for the men than for the women. Uh, Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word, to present herself, To present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. If the wife learns what submission looks like from looking at how the church relates and responds to Jesus, the husband learns what servant leadership looks like from seeing how Jesus responds to the church. What's it say? that Jesus gave himself up for her in order to make the church holy. Husbands, your sacrificial love transforms your wife internally and externally. Just like Jesus' death transforms the church and makes her radiant, spotless, um, without blemish, your sacrificial love for your wife will make your wife more beautiful, not just to, the, to you, but to the world as well, because she will have a sense of security, of wholeness. A husband's willingness to sacrifice himself for the wife and for the family is what being a leader is all about. That's what Jesus did. That's following Jesus' example. Sacrificial love is saying no to a career move that your wife is not on board with. Sacrificial love is not buying the boat or the car or going to play cards with the guys because your wife needs you. Sacrificial love is about taking the initiative to take care of and to lead your kids when it's not fun or convenient, when it doesn't involve sports or something that you love. That's what sacrificial love looks like. Verse 28 says, In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does for the church, for we are members of one body. Husbands, love your wives as your own bodies. You know, when you fall When you lose your balance and fall, no one has to teach you to try and catch yourself or to protect yourself from hitting your head on the floor, from banging into a coffee table. That's automatic. We know it. It, We do it inherently because we want to take care of our bodies. Husbands, love your wives as you love your own body, as you care for your own body, Christ takes care of the church. He looks out for her. He cares about everything that happens to her. You too need to take care of your wife. Verse 31 says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Uh, there's such an interesting phrase in there that, that Paul just kind of jumps on this rabbit tail. This is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. The fact that Jesus would love the church even with all of our warts, even with all of our struggles, that's an amazing thing. And that's the model for how a husband should love his wife. Husbands, your wives aren't perfect. They they have problems. But you're to love them as Christ loves the church. In that passage, it, it, it says that the two become one flesh. It's a description. That's a description of what happens in marriage. It is about sexual intimacy, but it's about so much more than that. Understand that that's why, that's why sex outside of marriage is so destructive because that one flesh is ripped and torn apart. That's why it's so important um, for a woman to respect her husband because when that's not there, that one flesh is separated. It's torn apart. That's why it's so important for a man to love with sacrificial, with a sacrificial heart. To not just protect her to not just let her choose the movie or the restaurant she wants, to not just not work long hours um, so that she can have more and nicer things, um, to not just go to church to get her off your back, but it's to set the pace, to model, to demonstrate what it means to love your wife completely, to be in that one flesh relationship. It's focusing on her needs before your own doing everything that you can to meet those needs. It is spending time with her and really listening. No TV, no sports, no thinking about what needs to be done, no interruption from the kids, no interruptions from your phone. It's not. That's not a manipulative ploy to try and uh, have physical intimacy. It's zeroing in on your wife because you value her, you cherish her, you love her. So um, l- let, me, let me just go real quickly to some application pieces right now. The, f- the first of all, if, if you're single and you're, you're hanging in in this message, hear me on this. That, that concept of one flesh, that's so important. Let me be perfectly clear. If you're single, if you're not in a marriage and you're sleeping with somebody, stop it. Don't do it. It w- creates that one flesh relationship that will be torn apart and be tremendously destructive. If you're in a long-term relationship, a marriage relationship, I'd call it, that's committed, that's long-term, with a shared future, and you're not married, get married now. Call us. We'll make that happen. We want to help you do that. Either that or separate. Because God has this design for marriage that that two people would become one flesh, that they would be fully committed to each other. Why is divorce so devastating? Because that one flesh is ripped apart. Let me give you some action steps just as we finish. Um, The first is this. Husbands and wives, love sacrificially. Um, We sing with Bruno Mars. I'd catch a grenade for you. I'd throw my hand on a blade for you. I'd jump in front of a train for you. You know, I'd do anything for you. And we think, ah, yeah, that's what sacrificial love is all about. I'd die for you, my love. What's sacrifice really look like in marriage? It's picking up your socks and making the bed, men. It's taking out the trash without being asked. It's about cleaning the shower and the toilet. It's about offering to go to Meyer and do all of the grocery shopping. It's, it's, uh, it's about deferring something that you want so that your wife can have something that she wants. It's maybe not going out on the first day of hunting season or turning off a football game so that you can spend time with your wife. I know what you're saying right now. Rick, stop it. That's, that's hurtful. Don't say that. Women, um, when was the last time that your husband did something that was really stupid and you encouraged him because instead of piling on? That's sacrificial love. When's the last time that you invested as much energy in your relationship with your husband as you do with your relationship with your sister or your girlfriends? When's the last time that you did something with your husband that he wanted to do that seemed absolutely a waste of time to you? That's sacrificial love. Mutual submissions. Mutual submission means loving sacrificially. The the second thing is to have couch time. Spend 15 minutes every day, husbands and wives, with no distractions, looking at each other, sitting on the couch, talking to each other about what's going on in your lives. Share from your heart, not just what's happening with the kids, not just what's happening at work, but to have a meaningful conversation every day for 15 minutes. That will transform your marriage. Uh, talk to your kids and tell them, look, if, if, uh, if somebody's not bleeding, if the house is not on fire, you guys stay away. This is my time with your mom. This is my time with your dad. Couch time. Have couch time. The third thing is, is to find a mentor couple. Find a couple that you say, I want to have a marriage like that. That's gonna be somebody who's farther ahead than you. Maybe a couple of steps. Maybe 10, 15, 20 years. And talk to them and say, could we just spend some time with you? Could we ask you some questions? Could we discover what you've learned about how to have a powerful marriage so that we can incorporate those things into our lives? You've been around couples that you don't really want to be around. You, you may like the husband, you may like the wife independently, but when they're together, it's like, this is really uncomfortable because they don't treat each other very well. That's not your mentor couple. Your mentor couple is is the couple that you look to and say, man, that's what I want in 10 years. That's what I want when I'm 50 or 60 or 70. Talk to them and just ask if you can be a part of their, their lives. Last thing is this, be a student. Be a student of marriage. Be a student of your husband or wife. There's some great tools on Right Now Media. Right Now Media is a tool that we offer to everybody who's a part of North Point. If you open your app right now and go under the More section, you can find Right Now Media there. And I've, I've uh, highlighted two tools that can really help you invest in your marriage. One is Love and Respect by, by Emerson Egrich. The other is His Needs, Her Needs by, by Willard Harley both highly recommended for helping revitalize your marriage. Take a part of that. Those toys that I had when I was a kid, the model, the 69 Buick Wildcat, and the wham Monster Magnet, uh, those were such great toys. Keep those in your mind. The way that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it, that's the model for what a powerful marriage looks like. The way the church submits to Jesus, that's a model for what a powerful marriage looks like. And recognize that when we, when, when our marriage becomes that, it's a magnet to the world. There's, some, there's something really crazy about a magnet, though. A magnet can attract or it can repel. Understand that your marriage, your marriage has an impact on the world around you. It either draws people to Jesus, draws people to the church. It makes people say, man, that's what I want. I want my marriage to look like that. How can I get that? Or it makes people say, oh, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus? That's what your marriage looks like when you follow Jesus? I don't want that at all. A model and a magnet. Let your marriage be the powerful thing that attracts, that draws people to Jesus. Hey, um, I'm, I'm finishing up right now, but before we go, I, w- I want to say this. If you're single, uh, if you're single, if you're not married, or if you're a kid, if you're a teenager, I want you to leave the room right now because I want to do something specific with just married couples. So um, go away, and if this goes really well, um, if you're a teen, take your younger siblings on a really, really long walk, or clear the schedule for your mom and dad, because what's going to happen now is going to be pretty special. I'll be back in just a second. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here in God's presence to renew And reaffirm your wedding vows. Vows are a big deal in God's world. Promises have meaning. Your character, your integrity, hang on your willingness to keep your word. Wedding vows are a big deal. A pledge to an exclusive relationship, forsaking all others. A pledge to serve, to love, comfort, and honor a pledge to selflessness, no matter what the circumstances, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse. So turn and face each other, and let me ask you some questions. Husbands, will you have this woman to be your wife, to live together according to God's word in the holiest state of matrimony? Will you once again commit to love her, comfort her, honor and keep her, "'in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, "'keep yourself only for her, so long as you both shall live. "'If so, look her in the eye and say, I will. "'Wives, will you again have this man to be your husband, "'to live together according to God's word "'in the holy estate of matrimony? "'Will you again commit to love him, comfort him, Honor and keep him in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, keep yourself only for him so long as you both shall live. If so, look him in the eye and say, I will. Men, look your wife in the eye and tell her again, I renew my commitment today to take you as my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part, and according to God's word, I give you my promise. Women, will you look your husband in the eye and tell him again, I renew my commitment today. To take you as my husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part, and according to God's word, I give you my promise. Husbands, you may kiss your wives. What God has joined together, let no man tear apart. Have a wonderful and powerful marriage.